Hi, Coke Scholar family and friends. Welcome to The Sip, the podcast that shares a taste of how Coke Scholars around the world are igniting positive change. This season features amazing panels of scholar experts discussing interesting and timely topics. My name is Aisha Shebi, and I'm excited to lead you through this season. I'm a proud 2020 Coke Scholar, originally from Miami, Florida, and now a junior at Princeton University studying medical anthropology. I also have my own podcast called The Hybrid Podcast. For those who are listening and may not be a Coca-Cola scholar, welcome. We're so glad you're here. To give you a little background, the Coca-Cola Scholars Foundation is the largest achievement-based and corporate-sponsored scholarship program in the country. Each year, it awards $20,000 to 150 high school seniors across the country who share a unique passion for service and leadership. There are now over 6,000 Coke Scholars creating positive change around the world. If you want to learn more, you can visit their website, coca-colascholarsfoundation.org. In this episode, Coke Scholars Nicole Thompson, Adam Pulver, and Jared Mashad, who have years of experience in the arts, will discuss storytelling, creative entrepreneurship, the challenge of getting rejected in the business, and more. Now, let's learn a little more about each of these creative artists. Nicole Thompson, a 2010 Coke Scholar, is a filmmaker originally from Newark, New Jersey. Nicole just finished directing the Lifetime Television Network true crime movie entitled Suitcase Killer, The Melanie McGuire Story. She's also the producer for Nickelodeon's Noggin animated children's show, Rhymes Through Times, featuring Nick Jr. characters. Adam Pulver, a 2007 Coke Scholar, is an LA-based writer for stage and screen and a live drag performer. Just some of his current projects include The Nebraska Cycle, 10 plays about life in the rural Midwest, Fox's scripted dance dramedy series, The Big Leap, and adapting his plays Burning Barn and On the Ascent for the big screen. Leading this episode is 2015 scholar, Jared Mashad. Jared is a London-based American baritone and a current Kathleen Roberts vocal scholar at Trinity Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance, pursuing an MA in vocal performance and music education. He is also a project assistant for the Lewisham Urban Opera Project with Music and Theatre for All. Now, here's Nicole, Adam, and Jared. It's really exciting to be able to talk to you guys today about sort of our experiencing our experiences in the arts. Um, and I want to start off with a sort of, I think, a, maybe a big question, but I think it's really important for us to talk about it, especially in the context of the Coca-Cola Scholars Network, I think, um, because a lot of us really care about making the world a better place. And I think sometimes as artists, we can maybe feel like our pursuits are frivolous or self-indulgent. Um, so I wanted to ask, why do you tell stories? Why do you do what you do? What do you, what do you see as being the value of them in a world where there are so many issues um, day to day? Yeah, sure, so essentially, why do you do what you do? Yeah. Yeah, so for me, um, I love telling stories. Uh, because um, I grew up um, 
just wanting to see more representation on the screen and wanting to shed light on different societal issues. Um, growing up in North New Jersey, you know, witnessing firsthand a lot of things, uh, a lot of ways that communities can be affected by social issues. I wanted to use storytelling to shed light on those social issues and hope that it can impact the change. Um, I remember writing about uh, my trip to South Africa um, for my Coca-Cola application and just telling that story about, you know, going to another country and seeing poverty on a different level. And my hopes was that I wanted to, you know, capture that with my video camera and just being, you know, being empowered to use filmmaking as a way to shed light wherever you are, whether that's in your home community or abroad. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, uh, well, I, I guess for me, it also uh, goes back a lot to where I'm from, uh, which is this little tiny town in Nebraska. Really, art was the only way that I saw the world outside of where I was at. Um, I mean, closest Walmart was an hour away. So like, that's what I was dealing with. But I was working at a movie theater with rentals where I was able to, um, I, I, I kind of in that way, had a little bit of the world at my fingertips, uh, similar to a library, um, but where I was able to experience stories outside of what I was able to, to understand at that time. Also, I would say right now, um, coming out of a period where a lot of people have been very isolated and feeling like their stories are only their own. Um, uh, I think that art right now is a great way to be able to say, no, 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 I was there too. And uh, like we were in, even though we were very separate for all, all of the things that just happened, in a lot of major ways, we were together. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think those are the two things that are on my mind right now when I'm, when I'm making art still. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it is very interesting because I would say for myself as well, my upbringing in my hometown is so important to why I got involved as well. I'm also from uh, a very, very small town that is very remote and in the middle of nowhere. And it was also sort of my way into like understanding and seeing the world. But I also think that there's probably, well, and I mean, I'm interesting, interested to hear your opinions. I think there's value in telling stories that maybe aren't politically motivated or are just like fun and just uh, happy or just uh, romantic or just, you know, expressing emotions in some way. Um, I sort of, my friend said the other day um, that yes, maybe we're not on the, the front line, so to speak of a lot of the, the issues in the world, but life isn't worth living if there is no art. And that's why what we do is important. And I'm curious whether, yeah, what you think about that, uh, whether you agree about that or um, how that plays out in your own work. Well, art is escapism. So I would definitely agree to that totally. Um, we, you know, we turn to art, we turn to storytelling, films, um, TV shows, you name it, for a way to, to get away from our day-to-day -day, uh, lives and some, somehow connect with that person on the screen or somehow imagine ourselves in a faraway city that we wanna one day venture out to. Um, so I definitely do believe there's uh, an ability for it to just be pure joy that can come out of the art we create um, in addition to you know using it as an activism tool, right? So yeah. 
I definitely would have to agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm of a of the similar belief, but just like a different way of coming about it, which is that I think all art is political in that if mm. you're making art that's not political, that in and of itself is kind of a political act of saying like, <laughs> we, what we need right now is escapism. We're not gonna deal with that. Um, and I think that actually both are needed in a way, especially right now, um, that when things are finally opening up, when people haven't been to a movie in a year and a half, two years, sometimes they just wanna watch Batman. Like that's yeah. just what people need <laughs> right now. Um, but at the same point in time, like I said, we've been through a lot. And I think that art is one of the main ways right now that people are able to come together and focus on one story. Um, and, and, and like see another point of view. Whereas I think in this pandemic, a lot of other ways that they get information has kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, things like the news. Like it's, right. <laughs> uh, it's become what is my news versus what is the news. Um, whereas I feel like art for some reason allows us to also lower our guards and just see a story of another person. So I think, I think we actually have an obligation to do both. Um, yeah. If you can do both at the same time, that's amazing. If you can entertain and tell some sort of story that opens someone's eyes to another point of view, great. Um, so that's kind of where I'm landing right now. Yeah. I love that. And I love the the sort of emphasis of, of both of you on the sort of collective experience of all of us um, enjoying things together. Um, I'm, I'm going to turn to some of the questions that were submitted by um, the scholars. Um, so Brooke, who's a 2020 scholar, she asks, what was it like taking a non-traditional career path? And what obstacles have you faced because of your career choice? <laughs> I smile at that question. And I smile <laughs> at it because um, when I think about, you know, pursuing a career in filmmaking, um, <laughs> I don't think of it as a non-traditional path, right? Mm. I think society tells us, you know, there are only a few lanes we should be in. And it kind of like dictates what's traditional or not. But um, for as long as I can remember, um, actually at the age of 13, I started pursuing filmmaking um, and I've been cracking at it for 16 years. Um, so I guess a part of me is like, I, I know no other way. Like this has always been the path for me. Mm. Um, and even though I've been you know, faced with um, you know, options, like, oh, consider this, consider that. Can, but for me, uh, those were non-factors. It was always uh, this or nothing else. <laughs> and I think that's the kind of you know, mantra you kind of have to have um, sometimes in this industry, because if you allow yourself to kind of float in between the in-betweens, then uh, it, it gets it gets hard to sustain, you know, in Hollywood without letting this be your 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 absolute like for me it's filmmaking or nothing at all. So um, although some people may look at the arts as you know non traditional, it's all I have <laughs> and all I yeah. want. So I, I just you know this is just everything for me. Yeah, I t I totally agree. I mean, I kind of chuckled as well because I I've. I guess I would say that I never thought of this as a career path. Like I, I feel it's not very clear. There's no really, a, there's no path. And, and also in a similar way, it doesn't feel like a career to me. Like, like you said, it's just kind of music has always been who I am and, and singing is what I do. 
And whether that is a career or not, I, it would still be an important part of my, my life. Um, Adam, what do you think? Strangely, after leaving the theater and moving out here to LA, I've started to think of it a little bit more as a career um, and a little bit more as, um, uh, and I'm not totally sure why that is, uh, but I think that for me, it has to do with making sure that the work that we do um, that provides value to other people is compensated like and making sure that we're able to make a living off of that. Um, like Nicole said, I think that um, I'm, I'm not happy doing anything else. So it wasn't necessarily a choice for me. Like I, mm -hmm. this is just what it has to be. Um, and I would say like technically the only difference and the thing that I needed to get over and I think the people, more so the people around me kind of had to wrap their head around is that so much of the job is looking for the next job. If you're a dentist, you don't spend your evenings looking for your next dentistry job very often. Right, right, yeah. Um, but this, it, that's 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 everything, um, and uh, being able to to settle into a piece of work and focus on the piece of work while always keeping an eye on the horizon, uh, I think is what that's the main thing that makes it maybe non-traditional uh, in terms of like a job for me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, what sort of, <laughs> I, I think that the, the freelance sort of lifestyle is something that a lot of people don't talk about enough or don't even realize uh, how difficult it can be. But I think there are also some, some benefits to doing the sort of freelance and, you know, just finding gigs and doing jobs here and there. Um, yeah, what has your experience been with that? What are some of the challenges that you found and what are some of the, the exciting things of you know, always going to a different project. Yeah, I can speak to that. Uh, uh, the job of a freelancer, <laughs> as he mentioned, is, you know, looking for your, your next opportunity. Um, you can spend all day filling out applications. Um, and maybe, you, in a, maybe in one week, you get through like 30 applications or submitting to 30 different opportunities, depending on what it is. And maybe you only hear from one of them. You know, or maybe you hear from none of them. And now you're like, all right, well, I, I still have to feed myself. <laughs> so you get that, yeah. you know, job that's going to feed yourself while you continue to apply for more applications. Right. So I think as being an entrepreneur, it's all about balancing um, having a steady income that's going to pay for your, your living needs while you pursue that dream. And um and also not getting lost at the idea or too boggled down by the notions of a lot of rejection that comes in this, mm. this business. Yes, <laughs> There's absolutely. a whole lot of no's for you know, every <laughs> one or two yeses that people promote on social media. There has to have been, I don't know, countless no's. And um, in the midst of it all, just remembering once you get into that thing that you really hoped and prayed for, remember that's something you hoped and prayed for. Because I feel like sometimes we get to a place where we're no longer happy with what we have. And it's like, oh, uh, we, you know, cry for this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like also like realizing, you know, you're, you're growing in the midst of these new opportunities and um, taking a moment to pat yourself on the back. From, for the things that you have allowed yourself to accomplish. 
I don't have a single thing to add to that. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the the thing, the other thing that people, you know, when people think of entrepreneurship, they think of, you know, business people or, or banking and finance or I don't know, those sorts of things. But I think there's, you know, a lot to be said about sort of creative entrepreneurship that that we have to be involved in. And it's so important. And I, and especially the, the idea of rejection, you know, the other day I was just saying, to a teacher of mine after I did a, a competition. I said, how can I improve? Because I didn't win the competition. And she said, um, you like you can't, you gave the perfect performance actually. It's just that, I don't know, the, the arts are so subjective and yeah. maybe that day the person uh, judging you just liked something else. And, and I think that's something that I'm sure we have all gotten used to that you just can't take it too personally and, you know, some people like some movies, some people don't. It's very similar to that. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that yeah. and that those rejections, I, I think for me working as a literary manager for a long time, I was on the other side of this where I was getting, I mean, we would get 650 applications for six slots. And just looking at those numbers, <laughs> you start to see that we, can only, we could only work with the people who we knew without a shadow of a doubt that we could help. Right. And so I got to see so many fantastic, just incredible plays where, but it was like, but we're not the people to help you. We can't give you the mm. things that we think this needs that you think this needs in your application. We can't help you. And so I've started to think too, as those, as those rejections, not necessarily as um, rejecting my work, but almost like re saying that, that that's not going to be a good fit at which point. Yeah. Great. Like, thank goodness you didn't bring me on for this if I'm not a good fit. Because <laughs> um, uh, I'd much rather be working on something where we're all part of a team, we all want to be there, and uh, everybody's contributing. So, you, yeah. you know what? I can add to that because yeah. I've took some moments to kind of look back on times when I was told no, things that I absolutely wanted and thought I deserved and like, how dare they not give this opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> but when I look back on those opportunities that I got told no to, and um, I saw where I was later on in the year um, and at a different opportunity that arose and is like, hey, I'm so grateful that they told me no because <laughs> something better came along and it, it would have took my time away. So it's like, we got to look back, like take a, a little moment of retrospective and look at our year at the times where um, things we could not get that we wanted and compared it to the things that we did instead with that time and see and re-examine, do we really want that thing we got told no to or was our time better spent with what we did with that time instead so i just wanted to say all, all in all like my mom always would say rejection is protection you know so uh. this is you're being told no it's, it's, it's a good thing because that means something better is on the other side that you need yeah that's awesome rejection is protection i and i feel at least for myself i also feel it's motivating it, it makes me want to work harder for the next thing or you know, do something for myself or something more creative or, you know, develop myself further because, you know, what else can I do, you know? Um, and I guess relatedly, um, I'm going to ask a question from David, who's a 2016 scholar, who 
feels like he's on a very clear career path because he's um, in medical school, which, you know, it is quite clear. Like you go to medical school and then you do your residency and then whatever. Um, so he's asking about, you know, what advice do you have for young writers and, and or we could say young artists, especially since there's no clear career path like what sort of journey do you recommend people taking are there certain like mentorship programs or internships or things like that that you'd recommend or how does how does someone go about pursuing an artistic career when it's not so clear how to become successful like it is with medicine adam do you want to start yeah (laughs) it's a tough question (laughs) i can give it a go um So I would say that in terms of uh, internships and things like that, they really vary so much depending on what it is that you're doing. Um, And so to give examples or to give recommendations is really tough. Um, But two things that absolutely have to happen in order for that career to start is, I think, and places that it might be more fruitful to put your energy at the beginning is one, building some sort of routine and some sort of a practice for yourself. Uh, If you wanna be a writer, are you able to sustain that life, not necessarily financially at the beginning, but are you able to make 10 minutes a day to write? Are you able to write for an hour on the weekend and figure out what it is that you want to be doing? If you spend your time with your work in that way, you'll start to realize what opportunities you need and like where, what tools you're missing on your tool belt. Um, So I would say, instead of looking for those things first, make sure that you know what you're looking for first, because Otherwise, you'll just get lost. Um, And the other thing I would say is look for community as soon as you possibly can. If you think you might be interested in poetry, go to a poetry reading. Like, meet those people in your community who are doing that at the local coffee shop. Uh, If you're interested in screenwriting, you know, go to a writer's group. There's networking opportunities, not only with Koch scholars, but with all the organizations you belong to. Um, You know someone who knows someone (laughs) who is a screenwriter and is more than willing to sit down to have a coffee with you. Um, So I would say that one, building a routine and a practice for yourself and figuring out what it is. And two, um, starting to build a community and branch out networking in the way that you would with any other job. Those are the two places to start, I would say. Yeah, that's great and advice. I would add, um, for those who are like aspiring writers or other fields, um, but to, to, to start with writing right now, if writing is what you want to do, um, I would say create a list of your goals that you want to accomplish. Like, do you want to write one script this year? Do you want to write two scripts this year? And once you have a list of your goals, create a schedule to accomplish those goals. And if that's something you can't uh, do on your own, get an accountability partner. Have someone to say, hey, mm. I said I'm going to have five, five pages done today. Check on me <laughs> to make sure I did my five pages today. And um, Or outside of an accountability partner, there are, you know, other methods to get into writing right so whether that's you know going to grad school for screenwriting or if you know grad school isn't your cup of tea there's other programs um professional writing programs i went i i attended one called writers boot camp that's an opportunity for people to learn after their, their typical like i was a nine to five working a job and then i would go to this writing class at night so like there's opportunities for everyone i think out there um and as he mentioned like just 
continue to put, put yourself in community of other fellow writers. I had a, a friend of mine that said, you know, go where writers go, go to the coffee shops, you know, just go right. read amongst everyone and you will kind of get in the groove of wanting to continue to grow as an artist. Um, and then submit to all of these competitions and fellowships out there. Like I can tell you, there are plenty of them online, but for every dirty nose, I'm praying you get that one. Yes, that's going to open up an opportunity for you and just keep grinding. Yeah, that's awesome advice. I, I think it's really interesting that, you know, we're sort of both all talking about, you know, there's like, you know, refine your craft and never stop doing that which I, th I think is something that is quite different than traditional career paths. We're never not continuing to develop our practice and our, and our art forms. And I was actually talking to um, my flatmate the other day, who's not a musician. And I was telling him that I was going to have a lesson. And he said, I thought you finished grad school. You already have a master's degree. Why, why do you have lessons? And I was like, well, I'm going to have voice lessons like forever because I'm always developing and, and working on things. And he was like, wow, that's really interesting. You're a lifelong learner. And I think like, you know, as artists, that's, that's kind of what is required from us. But because as we were saying before, because the arts are so subjective, so much of it really does come down to community. And I think that's also often really overlooked. And I, and I can say from my own experience that so many gigs that I've gotten are not necessarily just because I'm a good singer, but it's also because I know people and they know, oh, he's good to work with and he's a nice guy or, or he's fun or we can trust him or, you know, all these other sort of social and communal things. And that just comes from networking and, and you know, having friends and, you know, doing, doing the thing. I think that is a really important um, piece of advice. Absolutely. Um, so um, I have... Another question, um, since, you know, the, the theme of this podcast was sort of return of the arts. Um, I'm curious about, I'm going to say the C word, I'm sorry. I'm curious about COVID and how sort of the, the two years have forced you maybe to innovate your art form or, or think about it differently. And also, where do you think uh, the art, your art form is sort of developing or pushing towards what's, what's the future? Uh, for me, at the beginning of the pandemic, I felt like uh, COVID kind of just opened up an opportunity for artists to just be like, all right, we're all home anyway, so let me do what I do best and like find a way to, to create. I wrote um, an entire feature script at the beginning of the pandemic. And I feel like if I, if the pandemic didn't happen, I don't think I would have given myself the time to just daily write, 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 and write. Um, and I was doing that with some peers. We decided, me and two other peers, we said, hey, we're gonna get up at 6.30 in the morning. We're just gonna write. And I'm not a morning person, but I forced myself to do this. <laughs> um, so, and I have another peer, um, she you know, directed a feature film during the pandemic. So I think a lot of people are still you know, grinding and creating in the midst of this uncertain times. And um, it's just kind of, you know, allowing people to, to have the space to say, hey, I don't want to sit at home twiddling my thumbs. Let me at least do what I say I love I love doing. So that's what it was for me. It was a space, an opportunity to, uh, you know, create because Hollywood definitely shut down <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic. 
yeah. a lot of us are like, oh, work is dried up. <laughs> but, you know, we're pushing through that. And, you know, things have definitely started to open up and more work is happening. So it's been a blessing to kind of come out of, even though this pandemic, you know, COVID hasn't gone away. But even right. though uh, we're like on the latter end of what we can call the pandemic, um, I would say it's it's been a blessing to, to, to have an, the space and opportunity to create. I'm curious, Nicole, do you feel that it's changed the art form or now coming back to the, the industry? Like, how, are things different? Are people sure. thinking about <laughs> films differently? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I just directed my first feature film uh, for Lifetime. And um, just even seeing how uh, COVID has changed how we do things health-wise, health and safety-wise on set, versus let's say two years ago. It, it's amazing to see the, the safety measures, like, hey guys, wash your hands, sanitize. I'm like, you guys weren't doing this before? <laughs> you know, just a lot of little things that should, you think would be the norm to get, keep everyone healthy and safe, but it, it's, it's heightened now because of, you know, to keep everyone, you know, safe. And I, I love it that, you know, at least in our industry, I think we're leading. Uh, Cause some of, uh, my peers who work in different fields, um, they don't have to test every day or, you know, test at least two or three times a week for their job. But that's something we do in our industry. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like we're definitely on the forefront of saying, hey, we can't afford for this production to shut down. <laughs> so we're going to make sure we get everyone tested and, uh, you know, catch it early on. So I, I think it's definitely uh, something that is uh, helping to keep everyone safe. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Adam, what about you? What was your experience in the pandemic and how do you feel like it's um, sort of developed your art form? Uh, what was my experience of the pandemic? Not great. Uh, not great. <laughs> I did not instantly sit down and write a feature, <laughs> um, but I'm incredibly jealous. Uh, no, I would say uh, for me, it really was a period of, like with everyone, I will say it was a period of self-reflection. And I think for everybody, it start, it's really forced you to sit down and think about, okay, wait, wait a second. When my way of life effectively stops for just a second, at least, uh, some people kept, kept working through it. Um, but it was a time for everyone to say, what am I doing? What am I doing here, actually? And uh, I think... For me, it also, because of that, it turned my eye towards what am I making art for and who am I making art yep. for and what's happening in the world. Um, yeah. There were no shortage of things happening in the world over the course of those right. two years. And that's COVID, yes. Um, but we're talking like, we're talking about a, a, a kind of a racial reckoning in the country of how we how we talk about race how we deal with like things like police brutality we're talking about yeah. um uh, a political upheaval political uh, no matter where you land you can at least say there was political divisiveness in the last two years yes yes <laughs> um, absolutely and uh and and health how we deal with health i mean yeah. as as this issue goes to press nine hundred and eighty thousand people are gone and yeah. uh I'm not sure, you know, not to be the downer, but that's a thing that happened. And, and figuring out for me, it was a matter of like, 
how do you create art in a world like this? How do you create art that helps people get through? Because in that isolation, there was no, um, it was really hard to communicate with other people that had differing views than yours about what was happening. You didn't have to do that. And so yep. now when we come out on the other side of it and everyone thinks they're right and not everyone is thinking the same thing, it's like one of the only ways I think to get through that is through art, is to be able to put those stories up and reflect back, uh, reflect what we're doing back at us so we can say, yes, that, yes, that, no, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then once the lights come up in the theater, once the lights come up in the movie theater, look to the person next to us and say, is that, do you get that? Are we on the same right. page here? Um, yeah. We need that reflection desperately. And I think that that, um, that is the thing that, that drove me through the pandemic and has continued to motivate, motivate me afterwards is how do, we, how do we make sure that we're providing for the people who, who really need stories right now um, mm -hmm. to get through? I just wanna echo that because I feel like um, film is such a powerful medium and you know, using our camera and our lens to kind of capture the different movements that we're experiencing, whether that is you know, what we're seeing with police brutality or you name it, that's been going on in our country during this pandemic. Um, because, you know, as, as Adam mentioned, we can definitely, uh, you know, disagree on different matters, but we can't deny what we see. And I think that's the power of our being able to mm. capture it. Yeah, no, you're so right. And I think this really has brought our conversation full circle of, of you know, why, why do we tell stories? What is the, what is the value of stories in a world that is so um, chaotic and messed up? And I think we've really been able to capture that um, in this conversation. So we are going to move on to the fast five questions, which are rapid fire, sort of say the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, no pressure, no pressure. But yeah, and you're allowed to you're allowed to pass if you want as well. Ooh. So yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, are you ready? Yes. So so the first question is, what are two apps or websites that you could not live without? The Bible app and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say Instagram. Uh, Instagram's get has gotten me through, and. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the New York Times Sudoku. Uh, for some reason, just being able to shut off and work with some numbers for a while each day, that's been really helpful too. <laughs> yeah, I would say I it's Instagram as well, yeah. and also the the Google app because I just Google everything. Like I I'm that sort of like mom that asks Google everything. Um, <laughs> okay, the second question is. If I looked at the music on your iPhone or your iPod right now, what would most surprise me? My music is mostly gospel. A lot of gospel. <laughs> yeah, for me, I think it what would surprise you most is probably like how much a grown man can listen to Olivia Rodrigo. Like, <laughs> just like a truly shocking amount. I just think. I just think that album's incredible. So <laughs> that's so funny. It's just unreal um, right now. <laughs> for me, I think you would be surprised that um, 
even though I'm a musician and a singer, I actually don't listen to music a lot. <laughs> I just feel like I, it's just I need a break sometimes. So uh, I don't really listen Understandable. to music. Understandable. I listen to podcasts mainly. Um, number three. So what is your favorite book or piece of music or art that has helped you or inspired you in your life? I, I can go, I'll go with two. I'll go with two. Sure. Uh, the first being um, The Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Ruki Murakami. I think that completely yeah. opened up my world to the way that stories could be told um, mm. and changed my complete, just changed my perspective on, on so much of what I was working on uh, and continues to every time I read it. Uh, the second would be a play called Turquoise by a playwright named uh, Debmar Golan, which is basically about seven people trying to remember the word turquoise for an hour and a half. Uh, it sounds so silly, but um, it, it, uh, it's just breathtaking. If you get a chance to pick it up, I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah. Debmar Golan was actually my, one of my favorite professors in university. And she is, it sounds like a place she would write. She is incredibly kooky and silly and fun. I yeah. love that. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, what about you? And for me, it would be uh, the last book I read, which is Relationship Goals by Pastor Michael Todd. Ooh. And then uh, Robert Rodriguez has a book called uh, Rebel Without a Crew, you know, which documents his journey um making his first feature film for about six thousand dollars with just him without a crew that's awesome um for me i think it would be the color purple which is you know the book um and the movie and also the musical it, in every form i really really am I'm quite obsessed with it nice. and it's just been i always go back to it i find um okay number four what quote or motto do you live your life by? Trust the process. <laughs> okay. Mm, trust the process. Trust the process. And yeah. it's all process. Like I, mm. I think uh, even when it gets to be product time where you gotta where you gotta put something together, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's always it's it becomes a part of a larger process in your life. Um, that that product may seem like the only thing there is right now, but you take a try at it, you learn from it, you move on. That And that goes for my art as well as in just my normal life. Um, it's it's a process. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I guess the motto I live by is uh, knock on every door and always ask, because if you don't ask, the answer is already no. But if you do ask, there's a 50-50 chance you'll get what you want. Wow. I love that. Yes. Um, what about mine, you? I, my sort of recent mantra that I tell myself is just one word, and it's just release. <laughs> Anytime I'm just like, you know, getting getting too much uh, in my head or feeling stressed about the world, I just like release, let it go. Um, number five, what makes the Koch Scholars Program unique? I would say it's unique because uh, it truly is a family. I feel like a lot of programs, uh, you know, do good things at, you know, creating opportunities, but this expands way past just giving, you know, money for students to go to school. Um, the, the relationships I formed with Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola has, you know, expanded over the years. In fact, uh, my manager for my film career is a Coca-Cola scholar, Greg Johnson. Right. 
So, you know, like I said, things just go on and on and on. So I'm, I love the family. Hmm. Yeah, I would say like the ability to, uh, I mean, meet and connect with people who are working in completely different fields than I am. That's the biggest thing for me. In what circumstances am I a writer gonna sit down and have a conversation with this physicist? <laughs> you know, this there it's there's such a wide um, swath of experience in this group of people um, who are all so open to sharing those experiences with others. Uh, that's been the biggest thing for me. Yeah, you're so right. I find that in my life, I'm realizing that my network sometimes is like, okay, it's only becoming opera singers and it's, it's a bit much. And it's like, actually, you know, if I zoom out, I have the Coke Scholars Network and it's, that's everyone doing everything. Um, but yeah, I think actually what I think makes it unique is the fact that we're, I mean, doing this and that, you know, I, was, I got the Coca-Cola scholarship in 2015 and now seven years later, like I'm, I'm still involved and, and we're doing this podcast. Like that, that's pretty unique i think <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's and i'm glad we had yeah. to chat with each other yeah so yeah i guess that's the end of, of everything so thank you guys so much for chatting it's been Absolutely. really nice thank you thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode of the sip featuring nicole thompson adam pulver and jared mashad for links to their full bios work and other things they discussed check out our show notes or visit coca-colascholarsfoundation.org. And if you have a minute, we would love for you to rate the podcast, leave us a review, and subscribe so you'll be the first to hear new episodes. Join us for episode three, where Coke scholars Nelda Brown, Samuel Wakefield, and Dr. Laura Froyan will discuss parenting and navigating COVID with kids. Whether or not you're a parent, you'll want to tune in. See you next time on The Sip.